So we, uh, if you're visiting, we just ended a, um, a series on the book of John, and so it took us almost nine months, and we worked through the book of John, and so we didn't want to start a new series uh, in December, but with people here and there, and we thought we'd just go ahead and, and, do, and just run some... Um, Run something in December is different. In January, we'll pick up in the Old Testament. So, and we, and don't be afraid if we pick up a book in the Old Testament and think we're going to be here for the next three years because it, they can. Some of these books can go on. What we're going to do is we may block them in in dimensions or, or in order of like David's life here, Joshua's life here. We may do that. So work with us on that. And then um, also, I wanted to bring up to speed that we're uh, for this month we're going to be walking through. Uh, when I say topical, I don't want you getting th- thinking, oh, wait, are we, are we veering away from how we've always taught Scripture here at Creekside? And, you know, which is verse by verse, word for word. And so, no, but I want to give a little caveat to this. I, before, when we break into the book of Psalms here, which is what I'm going to do this week and next week, is uh, we're going to walk through each word. But I think it's important sometimes to not make something a Bible study. Sometimes I think it's important. You, uh, we, we don't want to make this seminary up here, you know, to where you're just reading through and you know the Greek word for this and the Hebrew. No, I mean, sometimes it's important to understand the heart behind something. And, of course, you just don't want to preach all heart either. So how I used to preach used to just, it was, it, I meant it well, was life application, was a way to like, man, I can't wait for you to be a better person when you leave here to continually grow in your life of Christ. You're going to be a better person. You're going to be a better believer. And I meant every bit of that. And people sometimes would say, oh, appreciate your preaching. Thanks for preaching who you are. Well, since I've been here and working for the Jack Clem, who's just kind of fathered us, as I, I jokingly call him the Thomas Jefferson of our church, and you know, with his methodology of walking through scripture, you know, he has shown me that teaching the Bible and preaching the Bible can be the same thing. You can preach with exuberance and then yet teach. You walk away going, you know, when you look at your notes, you know exactly what it meant. And so when we're looking at a, a scripture like Psalm 42 and 43, we're going to be looking at these two psalms as, as one. We're going to teach through them. But really, I want you to hear the heart of what they are. And so as we get into this psalm, I think it's important to know we are about to look at scripture. We're not looking at a Hallmark card. We're not looking at poetry. This isn't something where, you know, oftentimes where you have to be very careful. You know, read a little bit of this, read a little bit of that, and throw in a psalm a day. You know what I mean? Sometimes I think we treat psalm, uh, a psalm or a proverb like it's, like it's something that is, uh, um, that is something that is like an extra point after a touchdown. Don't do that. Psalm 42 and 43 is actually one psalm. Why it's divided, I don't know. It is a song. This is a worship song. It's a song that is, um, that I guarantee you is not the most uplifting song. It is something, by the way, that does not hold to the American style of Christianity. What do I mean by that? The classic example of American Christianity would be this. I went to Lifeway bookstore one time right after 9-11. It is after 9-11 and there are all these books showing the twin towers of planes hitting it and said, Jesus is coming soon. Now keep in mind, I'm walking in as an American who loves my country. You know, the, obviously it's, it's a sad, terrible thing what happened to 9-11. But because it happened on our shores, we thought Jesus was inevitably going to be coming back. Keep in mind in Delhi, in India, which is a developed nation, I mean, business thrives there. There are more people picked up off the streets off of Delhi who die from starvation and disease who have no homes on a daily basis that outnumber the people killed in 9-11. And yet our minds aren't drawn to the fact that times are, are tough. When it hits our shores. And so when I speak of this, sometimes in American Christianity, we want the end of the story to be perfect. We want, a, we want uh, an antagonist that is mean, that we can easily despise, and we want, a, we, we want at, the end of the, at the end of the film, we want everything to work out great. There is no ending here that's going to walk you to your car in any sense of elation. This is, has everything to do with depression, this message is what I call spiritual depression, what others would call spiritual depression, but it's also this. It is depression that can be emotional. If we're not careful, we can look at, we can say this. We are a faith, 
that is not based on emotion. There's sometimes you don't feel like you're saved, so it's okay to release it because you are saved. We talk about those mountaintops, about trying not to stay at those mountaintops all the time because the reality is we're not emotion-based. But we never really talk enough about the pit. What it means to be in the pit of depression. What it means to be in a place and to know that does not have to be your ultimate resting place. I'm going to speak out of my own life in the area of depression, what it looks like. There's different depression. There's, there's organic depression. People take medicine for organic depression. You know, 60% of pharmaceuticals today are given over for depression. I think any new pill or wave of thing that comes out in a, in a drug or anything like that would be in the area of, like, of for helping depression. CBD oil. You can't go down a street and not see CBD. Many young people I know take it. Health freaks I know take it. Why? Helps with anxiety. Anxiety is very real. And so as I jump in this message, I want us to walk through this um, understanding. We're walking through it methodically, studying scripture. But next, we're not going to miss that it's a real message for you and me. And if you do not suffer from any type of organic or situational depression or spiritual depression, whether it be flesh, whether it be your, kind of just feel like your soul's breaking in half. If you don't suffer from anxiety, you can do me a big favor. You can do two things. You can pray that those of us in here who've encountered it can come away with this message in a better way. You can take notes and learn how to be a better person for the person you talk to who does have it. So let me pray real quick for me, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to grow together in your word. Speak through me, please. God, um, make your word um, very real and pierce our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So years ago, I got an opportunity to go into the National Archives down into the basement of the National Archives. And this was like, this is a big thrill to me. I'm a big history student. And we walked through and they were showing a handful of us. This is what, you know, there's a document from Thomas Jefferson. Here's some from the Wright brothers. And, and the, the guy, the, the director of the archives is getting really excited because I'm really excited. I'm turning to a kid and he says, imagine you're the president of the United States on a lazy Sunday afternoon. You're given a, a telegram. You read it. You turn white as a ghost. You ball it up and you throw it on the ground. And here it is. And it said, air raid Pearl Harbor. Stop. Not a drill. Stop. You know what I mean? And I'm reading this, this thing that Franklin Delano, Delano Roosevelt would have read. I, uh, a letter from the Wright brothers. We've taken flight. You know, I mean, um, doodlings on the first Declaration of Independence. And then uh, after lunch, we went back in. We had 20 minutes to look around. And he said, what do you want to see? The director looks at me. He says, what do you want to look at? I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I choked. I mean, we were past several layers of security, marine guards everywhere. All the treasury of all the documents of a national importance are in this basement. And then he, he I stammered around. He opens up a, a binder. Gives it opens up. It's like a book, and you open it up. It's a portfolio. You take it out, and there's a bind, a, a journal. And his journal looked brand new. It looked like really expensive journal. And I opened it up, and it says, "Today begins in a, a, a new day and a dawn of a new era. A beacon of light and a republic of freedom still stands as a light to the world." Something like that. It was George Washington's very first entry on the first day of. The, of the United States of America, me president. I, I mean, at this point, I've lost control. I, I'm, I'm panicking. I'm like, what? And he's in a, he says, what else do you want to see? And, um, and I'm like, I don't know, something by, you know, Robert E. Lee or something like that, one of my heroes. He goes, those are Southern items. You Southerners never gave us those things. Somebody else. <laughs> I was like, way to go. And so I said, all right, so Teddy Roosevelt. He said, Teddy Roosevelt, come on over here. I mean, this is a man among men. This was a guy who gave us a national park system, established the great white fleet, and made us the superpower of the world. A man who gave us um, uh, what looked like courage um, that you can have after presidency. I remember after... He uh, was president. They asked him to explore the Amazon River and a, and a river of doubt uh, off the, one of the rivers in, the, in Brazil. And he did so, lost a decade of his life, contracted malaria, lost his dog to an Indian attack on that thing. And, and they asked him, why did you do it? He said, I wanted to be a boy one more time. I mean, this was my hero. And he pulls out his journal and he says, go to February 14th, 1884. And as I turned to it, there was a dark... X, just a blotted out where you could see he had, he had dipped his, his uh, pen in the ink and he had just written a big X. And he said, the light has gone out of my life. 
And I was told that at 11 o'clock in the morning, in, in, his, in the home, he lost his mother. And at 1 o'clock in the same home on the same day, two hours later, he lost his wife giving birth to a child. And wrote in there, the light has gone out of my life. And I'm sitting there looking at this thinking he had no idea what life would become, what life would be like. Trapped in that moment on that day, thinking he'd never crawl out of that pit. You and I, can, can be, we can be succumbed to a pit of life where we think this is the darkest day. Uh, some of you come from different churches. Have you ever heard of a group called, it's either Celebrate Recovery or Life Discovery. Some of you, anybody ever hear of that? Some of that? I used to speak every few months at the one at Idlewild. And I'll never forget, I would walk in. It was the realest group of people I'd ever been around. You could walk in and you felt like you took your armor off, you were real, and there was no judgment. Everybody looked at each other in a way that just had a sense that I'm jacked up, you're jacked up, uh, you know, we're all jacked up, and we're together. And it was just a feel of like, it, it felt good to be in there and go, I can, you can, I mean, you know, one person would stand up, I'm Drinking addictions, sexual addictions, overeating, mourning process, and grieving process, and, and a codependencies. And, and, and you realize something. It was what the church should look like if it was honest with itself. Imagine being honest with yourself the way the psalm is being written. So, open your Bible, look with me, in, in Psalm 42, and it reads here. As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. Now I'll stop right here. I'm not going to stop at every verse. We're going to read through quite a few of them. But there is a pattern. I want you to see the reason we know 42 and 43 go together is because it's written in a manner where you see that there's a, there's a, there's a crying out, then there's a chorus. Crying out, a chorus. Crying out, and a chorus. So it's written um, methodically together. Now, I don't know if I counted uh, Psalm 43, but I did count personal pronouns in, in Psalm 42. There's 51 of them, 51 personal pronouns, I, me, my. And so this person is making this very personal, 51 times, 20 times mentions God. Now there is, see if you can capture this, if you write poetry, this is going to drive you up the wall because it follows no pattern at all of consistency. And as a matter of fact, if you are a philosophy major, you're going to look at this and get a headache because you're going to think, I can't understand why the person is having a three-folded conversation. The person is talking to themselves, they're talking to their soul, and they're talking to God. And they're talking to God about their soul and wondering how the God connects to their body. And, and so you're going to see this connectivity here that is just, it's just interesting. And, and so... Follow along one more time. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have become my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Now stop right here. Go back to verse 3. See verse 3. My tears have, be, have been my food all day and night. This is... This is overwhelming sorrow. Again, I've talked about organic depression, situational depression. Situational can be altered by getting out of certain areas of your life. For me, walking through in, in the journey of life of just saying goodbye to so many people, they're dear to me, and all of a sudden I just noticed everybody else kept growing their sphere of influence and people around them and family, and mine was shrinking. And I remember the healthiest part of my life when I was all when I was messed up in the height of a successful ministry is me sitting at my dining room table, looking out of a window, watching a sunset and thinking, something is off. What is the matter? I just remember something was wrong. I couldn't diagnose it, I couldn't fix it, I couldn't do anything with it than to recognize something was off. Now that's this that's the deal about depression. Keep in mind, I carry no clinical degree. and I don't even carry a degree from anything. I can't sit there and say, I'm going to diagnose and tell you what it feels like. I can just tell you what it felt like for me. What it felt like for me was I felt lost in a place that had order. That everyone else seemed to have a script but me. Everyone else had, to seem, had seemed to be on a track but me. And so I'm sitting there watching and engaging with people, and I'm getting better at what I do. You know what I do? It's who I am to you. 
It's what you identify me as. So people would, my only sense of security was in what I can do for you. And so my security in ministry became deeper and deeper, the lack of intimacy growing by the day. I could minister to people better than ever. Why? Because I still cared about you. I'd look at you. I'd be in pain if I thought you were in pain. I'd be happy if I thought you were happy. And yet nothing on the inside. I would go for a yearly cancer check after my kidney cancer and be absolutely ambivalent to whatever results would be. Because I remember thinking, um, I just, I've lost inside of me the feel of what it means to feel. Now, I want to say this. I have a neighbor across the lake from me. Her husband passed away from Parkinson's, but ask her, uh, and talking about her, uh, she passed away, but he had Parkinson's before he passed. And I said, um, what was it like, the Parkinson's? She says, well, the doctor told us you met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's. There's no common denominator, no common thread. Folks, I want to tell you something very clearly. If you've met one person with depression, you have met one person with depression. And there is not a fix-all self-help book that can get it right. Everyone has, a, everyone has something in them that can take you to a place. And, and, and oftentimes, it, we don't know how to identify. And I'll show you why this person's crying out. I remember um, I went there, so I was in counseling. And uh, I was bent, burnt, no way I'm ever going to walk back into ministry. Counselor looked at me and said, well, said, here's what happened. I had a counselor for two hours a week. Then a facilitator, then there was like three or four of us that were up there. And we'd meet with a facilitator once a week, go out and get some chicken wings later. And he did a whole lot of nothing. Had an apartment north of Atlanta, near the woods. And part of it was, it was just like, hey, listen, go do anything you want. Well, wait a minute. I got to do it. No, no, no. You've worked your entire being. Get away. No, stop. And part of that is you are not in control anymore. Just stop trying to fix things. Stop trying. And so there are different groups. People had uh, problems that they would say were bigger problems. These other ministers, we couldn't really connect with them because they thought we'd minister to these guys. So I only had a few guys in my group. One guy, 25 year senior pastor, just checked out and said, I'm done. I don't know what to do. Another guy looked at his wife and said, I don't even know how to love anymore. I'm spent. I'm done. Another missionary who just found themselves just at a place of just like life's end. And so I'd meet with the council two hours a week, meet with this group another hour a week. And like I said, it was, uh, it was very blunt group you could you couldn't get away with um saying things you didn't say anywhere else and you know i remember saying they asked me would you do you want to be in ministry again and i said well you know i, I said i think the struggles that i've had in ministry would per, you know, preclude me from really wanting to really ever look at ministry he said no stop talking like a preacher do you ever see yourself in ministry again i said heck no and i didn't uh, Heck no, it was a cleaner version. I was like, no, no I'm not going to go back in ministry. There's no way. I'm not going to walk into ministry again. I can't do it. There's no, no possible way. And, uh, and then I would go to my counselor. And I remember walking into my counselor for the first time. My first time was looking at him thinking, how bad is it that I'm meeting with a counselor? Has life come to this? I've always told people, go, go. But I was like, I was Jake. I was the one who just spit. I, I wrote that script. What am I doing here? After a few weeks, I remember I started, wow, this is like life-changing. This is incredible. He's asking things nobody else would ask. He's a skilled surgeon to the soul. I mean, I looked at him and I said, Bob, I am digging this. And he's smiling at me. And it's weird to the counselor. They won't be your friend. They can't. It's like, I wanted to go out and hang out with this guy afterwards. You know, like, come on, let's get, no. I mean, they, you, and it's probably it's a good thing. You don't want your counselor to ever get Alzheimer's and start rattling about things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you want this guy away from your friends. And I'm sitting there looking at him and said, Bob, I am into this, man. I like this. This is, I'm all right with it. I'm starting to dig it. He says, I'm glad. And I said, Bob, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be the best counselor you've ever had. And he looked at me and he said, man, you are really messed up. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean I messed up? He said, you... At the lowest place in your life are trying to impress me, your counselor. Do you see that? You need to be, be the best counselor you've ever met and you've ever seen. I mean, I walked out of there just like, you know, just like, I mean, what, you know, I'm like reeling from that. Like, what was that about? How much did I mess it up? Still worried about my counselor. 
And then I started getting into it. And I saw the beauty of what it means to be free, to open up, to talk about things. And to have them peel the layer of the onion back to be able to see things. And then sometime later, I remember walking in. The place was literally, I could walk there from my, where my apartment was. Kind of why I chose it there, you know, just in case. And I want to walk to try to lose weight. That didn't work, right? And so anyway, I thought, well, I'm just going to walk over there. And I walked in and I was just, didn't shave. Didn't care what I looked like. Walk in, I looked at him and said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm wasting your time today. I don't need to be here. He said, what do you mean? And I said, I, well, I, my apartment's a wreck. Looked like a tornado went through it. I stayed up all night just watching Netflix because that's my drug when I'm really down. right? And I said, I didn't read the Bible. I didn't prayed. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like being here. And I don't need to be here. And I've wasted your time. And I'm sorry. And he puts his face in his hands. And he looks up at me and he says, I am so glad you did not clean yourself up before you came in here. And I thought to myself, how refreshing. And so if you've walked in here, and I put my arm around you and said, how you doing? You doing all right? Understand something. I, that's a precursor to wanting to say you're cared for. And I'm so glad you didn't clean yourself up before you walked in here. Don't. There's an f- adage I hear you know, in some churches. Bring a, come to church with a Bible in your hand, a friend by your side, and a smile by your face. A smile on your face. And I just I want to slap the preachers. Say, because that's not what you need to do. Don't fake it. Sometimes you walk in here, and the w- last thing and the worst thing you could do is wear a smile on your face. And sometimes it isn't a place to bring a friend. It's just you. <laughs> you don't even walk in. You crawl in here. Don't clean yourself up. Look at the next verse. It ends with, where is your God? In verse 3, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the the festive throng. He's being nostalgic. I don't know about you and I, but there is nothing more comforting than nostalgia. Get me talking about the 80s, and I'm going to light up. Start playing 80s music, spray the 80s cologne, do whatever, and I'm going to just, I mean, oh yeah, this is what it was like. What was it like without a cell phone, Jake? Well, I can tell you what it was like. I mean, I used to have to talk with my college age about, like, have you ever used a payphone? I wouldn't know what to do. One kid said I tried. You know, like, I have, and like, you know, I, 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 what, you know, I mean, literally, someone said, what did you do in, like, the, the waiting room of a doctor's office without a cell phone? What did you do in the airport? I'm like, what did you do on an airplane? We talked to each other. Remember, they, you think, start thinking nostalgic things. All the things, like, we used to, like, oh, no. You know, I used to hate sitting next to a stranger. I would, we beg now to go back to those days. Nostalgia does something. It takes you back to a place that is partially real. You know what I mean when you look back at family members? You can't remember some of the aspects of them that cause a lot of hurt and pain. You remember the beauty of it. God does that. This is not just nostalgia. He's talking about, I remember walking into a place when God was just real. It was present. There was some, by the way, this song, this psalm was written for us. It was sung by, during the time this was written, a group of singers who were, um, they were noted in Chronicles that they would, just, I mean, they'd go out and they would sing this thing with all they had. See, because it reminds me of something. It reminds me that if you look, and I'm not trying to break down the study of like the history of the Bible here. Jeff Amon could probably do that better than I could. But really, in the hands of believers, in the 2,000 plus year journey that we've had as believers, how did we connect with God? We think the Word of God, absolutely. And the Word of God that you have in front of you has only been in the hands of us as Westerners for about a hundred and something years. The American Bible Society really got it kind of kicked off in the Civil War. A soldier, a wealthy soldier, may have had a book of a hymnal book and a book of Psalms and a, and a, and a book of John in their, in their haversack. But for the most part, you had a family Bible for very wealthy families. Some of you all remember growing up in simpler times and, old, and a long, lot further back, you had a family Bible. 
And then it became, you know, you had personal Bibles, which really advented in the, in the, in the 30s. Sunday school started in the 1930s. So start moving back in the 1800s. You had a family Bible. That's what happened. What happened before you went to that? You had ministers. You had ministers that you would gather. They would come. They would go away and study in great large cities in Philadelphia and Chicago back to their little towns and hamlets and start preaching. And people would learn. Now, how about this? What would you do before that? What would you do before the written word? What would you do before a learned pastor or study or somebody would come back and preach? You would do this. You would communicate to God through what? Through prayer. And you ready for this? And through lamenting, through crying out and saying, life is hard and it stinks. You know, there's no sin in lamenting and crying out to God. There's none. God never looked at it as a sin. Only when they looked at each other and started griping to each other, the people of Israel, did God say, all right, stop. But bring it to me all you want. This is what this person is doing. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you so, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Okay, now watch this. Watch this bipolar verse here. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Talking to to his soul. Why so disturbed within me? And then says this, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior, my God. You are watching the classic battle between the flesh and the soul. I'm going to throw out a grenade to you. Here it is. And when you listen very carefully, and when you digest what I'm about to say, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. And you have a body. It's a big difference. And so... When this psalmist is saying, my, my God, why don't you connect my soul to you quickly? Because my body can't handle it anymore. My mind is worn out. My mind is tapped. I don't know what to think anymore. And yet, God, I know you're there. You know, anytime Jesus ever interacted and walked upon someone, here's a remarkable thing. He knew everything about them. Samaritan woman. Five husbands sleeping with a guy that's not. Knew everything about her. Zacchaeus, I know everything about you. Whenever you interact with someone, I know all of who you are. And you know what's remarkable? Jesus, who knew everything about that individual, never changed. The person did. Jesus knew everything about them. Knew everything. Some of you are in a place of hurt. I want to tell you this. Um, I want to encourage you. Just because the way things have been doesn't mean it's going to be the way things will be. When they ask me, would you ever want to be involved in a church? No. I don't even want to go to church anymore. Judging me? It's all right. I've gotten past that. I didn't want to touch it. Why? Because the only church I knew was in my mind. And I didn't ever want another place like that again. But in a hope that I couldn't even picture, God gave me something. I walk in this church and I feel honestly like I'm walking into a family birthday party every week. You'll walk by the living room full of action and activity, people happy, the kitchen full of buzz, and off to the side room, people emotionally distraught because something's on their heart, something's on their mind, but it was family. I never would have pictured this. Just like I couldn't picture my, myself ever getting out of where I was. Verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. 
what he's talking about here is like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember what it, what it was like in, in those days in the Jordan when we crossed over and there was, you know, the Jews used to put stones as a monument to say, this is where a great thing has been done. God has done something. To go back and say, this is, this is where victory was. So the first thing you do when you meet with a couple is going through something is go, but go back to dating. Go back to the things that made you. Go back to where you first kissed. Go back to the first place you held a hand. Go back to those memories. Go back to where you placed the stones and say, this is the victory. Go back to that place. Go back in a way, if you can, to the places where you remember what it was like when all was well. Spiritually. Go back and remember those things. Verse 7. Watch, look at the, I mean, look at the heartfelt stanza of the deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls all your waves and breakers have swept over me are you catching this the deep is calling to the deep because that i can identify there's not a, i mean th- this is what sorrow does this is what pain does i remember when my best friend just after high school killed himself and i remember he's there, there, there's his body is inside at saint joe's the very hospital he was born the very hospital i was born and i remember walking out distraught not even knowing what to say what to do what to feel just in shock and this lady walks up to me as i'm waiting for my friends to pick me up and she says is is everything uh, are you wait are you with that young man the man that lost his life that shot himself. I said, yes. And she said, I lost my son. And keep in mind, I can't remember who the woman was. I can remember what she looked like. I can remember everything. Because I remember at that moment, this woman, I remember looking from the pavement to her face to think she is in the deep, crying out to the deep. She knew the pain at that moment with no time to train, no time to think, no time to feel, no time to wonder. I knew this woman could interact with me. And I would listen. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Okay, if ever you want to see the battle between the flesh and the soul, look to the cross and watch how Jesus interacted. And watch him in the flesh dying in misery saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Absolutely full of knowledge that God is where he was, that Jesus was where he's supposed to be, and yet in the bodily form saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, if Jesus can say that to his own dad, you can say that. There's times when you have to stop and listen to those who are with you. And sometimes the best thing you can do is say nothing at all. So again, if you've never had depression, if you've never been through stuff like this, take note. Listen how to listen. I would, uh, I, I remember one of my girls in a worship band was at my house 15 years ago from the college group. They're all in the living room talking, and she wanted to talk, and we went to my den in the front of the house, and she's just weeping about, probably about these kind of things. And I, in my naive set of ears, just listened to how I could fix it. And that's the most dangerous thing you can do. Sometimes you just need to listen. And I remember, I can't remember the exact words, but I remember telling her, yeah, you know, you ought to, and I apologize. Ladies, don't you look at me with hatred when I say this because I'm confessing. I'm safe, right? I'm like, oh yeah. But if you just like, you know, get back and you serve and you do this and you'll find, I mean, I was a disaster of what to say. I should have just sat there and listened and absorbed and just gave her a safe set of ears. And I blew it. I mean, she let me know I blew it. And on this side of healing, I've I've got to reach out to her. She's probably going to like, yeah, whatever. Come on. It's nothing. But to me, I was wrong. So wrong. When um, verse 9 says, why have you forgotten me? You just feel like you're alone. You feel like no one understands you. And you even cry out, God, why have you forgotten me? Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal 
agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. And so you think it would end there, and it goes on to, to chapter um, or verse, Psalm 43. But first, I want to stop. I was talking to Dan Hobby one day. He did, I, I love being in this office. You know, we come in here, it's all volunteers working in there, the ladies and helping out. And inevitably, all day long, you know, different folks stop in to move things around, to want to vacuum, to do whatever. And I think just to kind of hang out. Yeah, that's what we like to do. And Dan Hobby walks in one day and says, you know, I tell you what, it's, there's something about waking up in the middle of the night and I'm full of anxiety. And he says, I'm a worrier. I worry, I worry, I worry. He says, and I just get up and I go to my Bible and I start reading. And it helps. What he's doing, he has no idea that he's, what he's doing is magnificent. He's reading scripture from his soul to his body to remind the body you're going to be okay. What he's doing is remarkable. You see, the word of God is what we depend on and what we lean on. You will forget the message by the time you get to lunch. But God's promises and everything we direct you to is at your fingertips at any given moment. Forty-three. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are God, the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, this person's having a dialogue with themselves. Why do I, why do I feel this way? Why am I battling myself? Why do I continually... Why can't I get it? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like when you walk away from a group setting or you go to a Christian concert or you go to something and you feel so strong? You're like, man, I'm invincible. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up a Sherman tank of the faith. I mean, nobody can pierce my armor. I mean, I'm. And then what happens? By that night, by that evening, you're dealing with things. And you wake up tomorrow and here it is again. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, and I, O oh God, my God. Now, sometimes we say things and people say things. And our nature, if we're not careful, is to correct them. Folks, use discernment. Use it. When you're dealing with someone who's in a pit and in a place, don't interrupt the healing process. If they're in a place of spitting it out. And they're, if they're in a place of talking, I'll give you an example. It's uh, one verse in Job. Job has been rattling off, crying out, saying things. In Job 6, verse 25, I think, I think it's at verse 26, says, Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? Some people in circles call these wind words. A wind word is this. I, I don't believe anymore. Why would a loving God wouldn't do this? I, I, I'm tired of feeling like a fake I'm tired of, of feeling like I'm empty and that, yeah, sometimes I believe and sometimes I don't. Those are wind words. Those are the same things that when Job's sitting there saying all these things, the good news is God didn't smite them, which means something. You and I don't need to smite someone either. When they're talking, let them talk. Let them get it out. Let them get those words out. Let them speak. Let them say something. Let, don't judge them. It's not the time to stop them and say, no, 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 theologically, you're all, No, let them talk. Matt, when I walked into your home, hours after your son had taken his life, I walk into that home, and at that moment, I, the, the fear of staying into the door, of not knowing what to say, 
but knowing the best thing I can do is listen. To walk in that door and to sit at that couch and just sit through the, 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 the absolute sobbing and tears and looking at me going, why? And I just, <clears throat> I knew enough. I just let you talk. Just let you talk. Let those wind words fly, man, because you're safe. Cry it out. Yell it out. And you said something that was just absolutely beautiful. You didn't even know you were speaking theology. You didn't even know you were speaking truth out of Scripture. When you said, how could God... He said, Jake, how could he take my boy like this? And he says, I, you don't know. You don't know. I, would, I, 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 don't think, I don't think I love him right now. I don't know how to deal with God right now. And then you said, but I know God's my only way out. If ever there was a picture of the flesh and the soul in a match, it was that moment. It was saying, how could this happen? But yet, I know my only recourse is what God can do. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And there it is. Hope. Do you know in my hope, I never thought I would have you all. I didn't think I'd have it. Because my mind's not that great. My aspirations aren't that magnificent. There's no way you could talk about pulling together people from all segments of chapters of my life that were heroes to me walking in under a roof and worshiping. (laughs) How does that happen? Through meals at homes and through times together and serving. Here we are back together again. The old guard. And then watching what it looks like for new faces to pile in. And show us what a breath of fresh air it is. Never would I have thought. And if you were to ask me, would you go back to any of the pain to ever have gone through. To exist in that. To have what I have. And what I thought was the end of life. What I thought was the most miserably lonely place in my life. Oh yeah, I would. Because I've never felt more alive and more at peace than I do now. No more faking it. I'm not talking disparagingly against another church. I'm not doing I'm not talking anything like that. I'm talking about who me was. I jacked my own self up. I was responsible for that. So here's a takeaway word. Your hope. He is the God of your hope, not you. So if you can't hope your way out, if it's that bad, and you can't even picture your way out, it's okay. Because he is the God of hope. Surrender that to him. This, it still ends with hurt still in place. But knowing God is still in his place. So I wrote these things down that um, are, I think, arrows to spiritual depression. Rejection. Abandonment. Misunderstanding. Ridicule. Betrayal. And criticism. The deep calls to deep. The people who are hurting want to be hurt with around hurting people sometimes. Jesus felt rejection by his own people. Abandonment by his own disciples. Misunderstood by one of his closest followers. Ridiculed at his own trial, the God of justice. Betrayed by a close friend. And criticized by nearly every religious leader of the day. Jesus didn't come to just die on a cross for our salvation. He came to identify with us in our pain and to show you through an incarnate body what it means. Otherwise, he would have been born right in front of a cross. The journey was for a reason. The journey was for us to know the deep call to the deep. The pained call to the pained. 
to say this, that beyond the bodily hurt, beyond what the brain cannot conceive and cannot wrap our minds around, there is a hope that is out there and we cannot see it and we cannot feel it and we cannot fathom it. That is the hope we have. And that is why sometimes you sit there and listen to the wind words of people that say things that say things they do. And sometimes you walk in and hear people say things you never expect. They bring you back to reality. I hope I hope we don't go any further as a church than your heart. That we never go any further than how we can minister to you. This is why I stopped in the middle of where to go next to simply stop and take a breath and take a break and talk about this. Because <clears throat> of scripture, number one. And number two, because it's a real situation. <clears throat> Folks, I probably know at least a dozen of you personally at this moment who are going through something really, really, really heavy. And I don't know what you're going through. Your spouse does not know what you're going through. And you do not know what you're going through. And it's okay. Where you seek help, you seek help. Where you need, where you need advice and you need counsel, you need it, don't get those things. But in that place of hope, grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of the promise of it if you can't see it. Say, God, hold me on to the lifeline of hope and you will show me something quickly. Show me in your word what you would have me do. Show me through your Holy Spirit what you have me do. Show me in people what you have me do. But show me in my soul what I can do. For all the times you've ever questioned, you've been speaking scripture the whole time and you didn't know it. The whole time you wonder, what's going on within me? What's going on? I don't know what's going on. You're speaking scripture. Hold on to the hope that Jesus knows you for everything you've ever done and exactly who you are and has not changed one bit. You and I are. And it happens in his own timing. Um, I close out, and I, I, I didn't tell this to the first service, but it kind of hit me. I was reading through um, Samuel, David, and Bathsheba, the sin that went on there. And then had Uriah, her husband, killed. You know, you know what hit me is like. Here's how it hit me. I think you said we were talking at a Vox back and forth. The pastor said, "Shale said, Jake, you know you love David, and me, you know we all love David, right?" If it wasn't for David, Colin, you said this one time, if it wasn't for David, we'd be all jacked up, right? David gives you hope. That if David can do what he did, if David can do what he did, and God to say that's a man after my own heart, wow, we're going to make it, right? I mean, if God can do that, we're going to make it. You all right? Calm Peter down over there. <laughs> Olivia's our little mascot there. But you know what I started thinking of? Imagine being Uriah's mom and dad. The parents of a man who was killed by a man who was described as being a man after God's own heart. And you walk up to them and you say, God is a God of restoration. I can guarantee you they would give you a different answer. And so if you've walked in here at a place where you have been wounded, you have been misidentified, you have been hurt, you have been labeled, you have been had expectations, you, and you walk in here, you have every right to walk in and say, how? I cannot describe God's grace. I cannot describe God's forgiveness. I can't even describe him. The scripture says that. But I can describe 
the pain that we go through as best I can. And I can describe that there is hope. There is hope that every one of you would feel the presence of God. And every one of you would come to a place where you're home again. Where the soul is at rest. Next week, Psalm 116. I don't know where I'm going with it. Didn't figure it out till right now. I started thinking of that psalm. It's a really good psalm. Psalm 116. Um, so, thanks for letting me talk. By the way, this isn't some formula I came up with. Shale is... And Ariel are the only ones who know. When I preach, by the way, I don't know if I've ever, like, if you're, Annie, you asked one time for my notes. You said, can you send me your notes? And I hem hauled around and I, I sent you something. But um, if, you, if you want, my notes, I blow them up because I can't see. <laughs> but there are no notes. So it's always scripture. So if you see me walking up here, it's scripture. That's it. I read it, I study it, I study it, I read it, I study it, I absorb it. When I walk in here, understand something. If I, a Land Lakes High School dropout, can figure this out, if I can get up here and go, that's what this means, this is what this means, you can too. And so just know when you, when you, when you come to the Word of God, there's things that will jump out. I'm not saying it clinically. I'm not saying it like they'll preach or break into the Word. I'm not saying it that way because I've disdained it in times of hurt. But no, it was written for you. And there are some promises in there, much better than I can say. And so, that's my message for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us the opportunity to grow with you closer through being real, being honest with ourselves. And God, I just pray that um, there may be those out here who do not know you, never received you as Lord and Savior and Father. Um, I would pray that they were given a picture of what it means to be real. That we just don't simply check our emotions at the door. We just don't simply walk in and say, this is what we believe in and check our mind to all our fears and, and, and questions. God, if there be anybody in here who's never received you as their Savior, Lord, they would just simply... Lord, they would find an opportunity to meet with one of us or the person that brought them. The person they know the best in here. It's the best minister they can can meet with. And have them walk through that plan of salvation. God, for, for those of us who are believers, who at times have thought we've faked it, at times have thought we, 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 we thought ourselves to be the only one that felt this way, God, thank you for the fact that deep within the flesh, beyond what a scalpel can cut, is a soul. A soul that gravitates to you and yearns to be with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you can still speak to our soul. And God, thanks for hope. Thanks for hope not as we see it, not as hope is just a simple rescue, God, you're the God of hope that has something planned for us, has a place for us that we can never imagine. Let us hold on to that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.